Welcome to Talking Wyndham, your weekly insight into the people who make our city surprising, fascinating, vibrant and interesting. Talking Wyndham is an initiative of the Committee for Wyndham. All the latest news and events are on our website and Facebook page. Hello and welcome to 2020 and to this season of Talking Wyndham. My name's Kevin Hillier. I'm going to kick off with a great first guest to get us underway for uh, for 2020. He's an Olympic gold medalist. In fact, he's a six-time Olympian. Uh, also a Commonwealth Games gold medalist uh, in the Sports Australia Hall of Fame. Oh, look, honestly, the list of achievements this man has is unbelievable. But that includes being the number one ticket holder of the Werribee Football Club, a life member of the Werribee uh, Clay Shooting uh, Club, uh, and uh, just generally a, a resident of Hopper's Crossing with his uh, wife Lauren and his family. Of course, I'm talking about Russell Mark. He's our first guest uh, in episode. Episode 1 for 2020 of Talking Wyndham. Hope you enjoy the chat and uh, don't forget uh, all the details of uh, what the committee for Wyndham are up to is all available on their Facebook page and on the website. But uh, let's have a talk to Russ. Russell, Mark, welcome to the Talking Wyndham podcast. Great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Kevin, looking forward to it. Uh, 2020, a, a big year for you, an Olympic year. Does that does that make it uh, kind of give you a little bit of uh, sort of reminiscing and a little something to look forward to as well? Yeah, it, it's tough, you know, because I, I spent most of my life going to the Olympic Games and obviously when I retired from the sport in 2014, I then took a job with Channel 7 as a commentator for the Rio Games, which I'm doing again for them at the Tokyo Games. So, yeah, it, it's hard. I, I coach a couple of people that, will be at the Games in Tokyo and there'll be medal chances. And when I, I'm with them, I get nervous in different ways now. But I yeah. can't control you know, as a coach. And I know what they're about to go through and I try and pass on that knowledge. But when the Olympics are actually here, it's such a lonely experience that these um, competitors are going through. And I don't miss that part of it. You know, everyone, it's a bit of a fallacy to say, well, go to the Olympics and just have fun. Well, no, they're two different things. You know, go to the Olympics and have fun. And that's, I don't miss the stress of the competition and everything that you prepare for for the Olympic Games. But it was such a big part of my life. Every leap year, I do, I do reminisce for sure. 96, I mean, 96 uh, appears like, you know, the, the, the big uh, shiny white cloud there, but there was an enormous amount of work went in before you got to the gold medal in 1996. I mean, you'd been to two Olympics before that one, and I think a lot of people just think, oh, yeah, he bobbed up in 96, won a gold medal, and, uh, yeah, that was pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was that easy. Yeah, exactly. This, this is what I'm – even the people that I'm coaching at the moment, this is only their second Olympic Games, and I often – tell them, you know, it took me three Olympic Games to actually win one. And I'd, I probably started as favourite in 92 to win uh, in Barcelona because I'd won the World Cup the year prior in Los Angeles. But sometimes it doesn't go to script. And, you know, in 92, I had chances, I guess, to win it and then didn't win it, then had four years of really mental suffering to go through to get in the position to win it again. And luckily for me, when I got in that position again four years later, I then had the experience of four years prior to, to win the Games. But, you know, Kev, it's funny. I mean, I honestly don't think a lot these days about winning the Olympic Games because I think in your life, there are such more important things than a sporting event. And I'm, I'm not trying to be blase saying, you know, you've won Olympics, so what? It meant an awful lot at the time. But in your life, um, 
something that you've done in your sport, it shouldn't define you, and it certainly it won't define me. I, I I loved all the things that the Olympic gold medal opened up for me, but I'd never swap any of those for the health of my kids. You know, yeah. that's the your children are by far the biggest asset you'll ever have. A lump of um, gold-plated metal really, <laughs> it really doesn't mean that much in the entire scheme of things. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree, couldn't agree with you more. You're not, uh, you're not uh, what you do for a living or what you've achieved in your job and stuff doesn't, doesn't, uh, it isn't you. You are the person, not not the achievements. Um, uh, now let's talk about, uh, because you, what we are, and you, you kind of touched on it there, is we're a product of our parents and your parents, Brian and Joan, are very, very well-known uh, Wyndham stroke Werribee uh, residents over the years. Yeah, look, they dragged me down to Werribee after living in Ballarat for 17 years. I finished high school at Ballarat East High, and then virtually the week I finished high school, we moved to Werribee. My father was a very good friend of a couple of very high-profile Werribee businessmen in Merv Selsa and Barry Hopper, who were quite famous for their car dealerships they had here in Werribee, and convinced Brian that because he had a a background in real estate, um, you know, probably 10 or 15 years before we actually moved, they convinced Brian that Werribee is the next boom area of Melbourne and to open a real estate agency here would be a good idea. And then Brian convinced me that why don't you finish high school and go to RMIT and get your valuer's license and get a a diploma in business studies mastering in real estate valuations and the plan was that he obviously opened up the real estate agency and one day he'd hand that over to me and I'd be the valuer in the business. I probably really never had any uh, any dream to be a real estate agent, but a, a valuer, I think, yeah, that, that, that'll work. So that was the plan, of course, and he opened <laughs> up an agency and it went, it's still going to this day. Yeah. Brian's passed away a decade ago, but the, the Brian Mark real estate is still going very well and probably ran – Five times better these days by my cousin Michael Meekin, who took the business over when I left it in '97. Uh, and your mum, Joan. Uh, no, my memories of your mum involved the the golf club. Yeah, if you go down to Werribee Golf Club, you'll see her name over the club champions uh, wall down there. She won the club championship down there. Oh, I'm thinking half a dozen times, yeah, but I might, I might be selling it short. I might. She might have won it ten times, but she had the course record there for a while. My mother was a, a great sports person. I got my sporting skill from her, not from my father. She, My mother was the state table tennis champion when she was a kid. She okay. was good at sort of everything that she did, but golf was her passion and um, you know, I hated playing golf against her and uh, in the end, I just <laughs> didn't play against her because I never ever beat her once in my <laughs> entire life. She never let me beat her ever. I mean, and I used to play a lot of golf with my mother, but she just didn't have it in her to let me beat her. And, you know, I went close a few times, but she'd always just pull something out on the 18th hole. And I think that's where I got my competitive um, strings from, was from her. And yeah. she she loved that golf course. She was club captain down there, and she spent a lot of her time down there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you made the decision, you and Lauren, to, to bring your kids up uh, in, in the, wind, the city of Wyndham. Because uh, I, I imagine, like everybody else, you could have moved at some stage and gone and lived somewhere else, but you've, you've chosen to stay in the area. Yeah, I, I did. I, I love the schools here. I mean, we bought a house deliberately because I wanted to be near the Derrimut Heath Primary School, um, the Baden-Powell one, just 
just um, north of Hogan's Road. I wanted to buy a house here so my kids could walk to school. It was such a good school and ran by um, some very good teachers that had in that school. And they, they went right through the first six years there. And now they're both at MacKillop College. So I really think the city of Wyndham had some schools that kept me here. Oh, you're right. I could have moved several times, I guess. But um, having business ties here as well and, yep. you know, um, um, Hotel 520, which I'm one of the directors of there and owners, and that's walking distance from where I live now. And then, of course, with the Tigers Clubhouse prior to that, they've both been businesses that have been close to my heart, obviously. And I've thought about maybe moving to Williamstown, but you know what? I just look at all the traffic that I'd be traveling through back and forth, and enough's enough. I'll stay here for a little bit longer, I think. Obviously, it was it must have been a uh, a big thing too for Lauren. Uh, I mean, being an American coming over and 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 to her her sort of stake in in living in Hoppers. Yeah, well, she was from San Jose in California, which is you know virtually uh, it's it's a very high paced society over there. Her parents were involved in the computer industry, and they lived in the Silicon Valley there. And they when Lauren first moved to Australia, you know, she just fitted in so well here and. Now she's been here for 21 years. It's hard to believe that this is her 21st year in Australia. But she often said if things didn't go well in our marriage, she was staying here. She wasn't moving <laughs> back to the States. And she's really enjoyed the Werribee area, obviously with the Werribee Clay Target Club, where she's ran her business for quite some time now. And Yeah, she, she's more Australian than American, there's no doubt. And even watching the tennis recently, um, I was watching Ash Barty play an American girl and Lauren was barracking for Ash Barty. So you know you've finally crossed the road <laughs> when you get an Australian playing an American and you barrack for the Australian. So good on her for that. Uh, Rush, you've got a unique perspective on uh, on uh, the last probably 20 years in uh, in, the, in the city of Wyndham um, in terms of being a uh, not only a resident, ratepayer, a, a business owner in the in the area, and also you know someone who goes to the to the Werribee uh, Clay Target uh, range. So you're you're an active participant in so many areas of, of the of the city of Wyndham. What's your thoughts on what's happened in in Wyndham in the last sort of 20 years? Yeah, look, like everybody, I guess I don't believe the infrastructure has kept up with the way it's boomed. But, um, you know, with the work they're doing with the freeway and the tunnels and that, that will change, there's no doubt, and uh, it, it'll continue to grow. But, yeah, look, it, it, it's odd. I, I can, One of the things that I've probably been very proud of, and I was given it before I'd won an Olympic gold medal, and a lot of people... You, they say, you know, you've, you've got things in life because you won the Olympics. But the Werribee Football Club made me the number one ticket holder back in 94, 95, when I was very vocal in my public support of the way that the, the VFL were trying to get rid of Werribee out of the, the VFL competition. And that, that would have been terrible for our, that was, I call it our town back then. It's obviously yeah. very much a city then, but. The town needed a local football team. It was a pathway for young Werribee kids to get into the AFL. It was a it was a clear pathway. They played for Werribee. If they were good enough, they could go on and go into the AFL. And I thought if Werribee had have lost its football team back in 94, 95, which there were some people very intent, they were going to kick them out. I thought that would have been terrible for our community because it was it did have a very much a community feel to it. And we took on the VFL and the AFL ended up supporting it and, and they stayed in the competition. And I thought 
it was great to see the local community all get behind them. Not all of us, and I'm certainly not from a football background, but I want to have something that the town could be proud of. And I think that was a big thing to see the amount of people that turned up that night down at the Werribee Football Club and they filled the oval up with people demanding that Werribee get some respect. And it ended up, you know, it was saved. I think just a couple of years prior to that, they'd won the premiership. And they were the next minute kicking them out of the competition. Well, that just showed you, hang on a minute, there's a lot more to Werribee than just sewage farm, for God's sake. This is... This is a big part of Melbourne now, and I think that's how a lot of people used to treat us. I'm glad to say that stigmatism's gone now, and we were given we were given our football team back, and you know that we might not have won too many more premierships, but yeah. they're well on the road to having an identity again in the competition, and people can still have that pathway for their young kids who like football. And I think I was very proud to stand up for Werribee back then, and then of course I won the Olympic Games, and I've been the number one ticket holder or joint holder with Merv, obviously for the for the last twenty five years. And I think for me that was one of the personal things that I liked more than anything else: the fact that okay, we're part of a community, and let's all stick together. And if a lot more people, I think, had that attitude, Werribee'd be a lot further down the track than we are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as a business person uh, running a business, as you have, and, and Lauren has as well with Go Shooting, and uh, you've had, as you mentioned, uh, Hotel 520 in the Tigers Clubhouse, is it a, has it been a, a good place to, to run a business, to be a business owner in, in the city of Wyndham? Yeah, no, and it's still getting better. I mean, with added population there are obviously more opportunities and with that is the great benefit of having people move to this side of town and it's still continuing every day you just see it pushing further and further out and you're seeing other sporting bodies now coming here with another soccer team in the national league will be based here and things that's great for our community and i still think we haven't seen the best of werribee i mean i'd love to see them maybe open up Werribee by opening up a bridge over Watton Street, joining the Farm Road community down there, or a bridge over Sinner Street, even even a footbridge for people to join that part of Werribee to the central Watton Street area. I think that'd be great if they could consider doing that, because I really think a lot of the businesses in the middle of Werribee in the Watton Street area would benefit by those little communities now, the Farm Road and that, that, there's a lot of people living there, but they're yeah. sort of cut off from Watton Street. And it's only a few hundred metres away, but the Werribee River, as beautiful it is, it's also a barrier. And I think it's time to consider maybe building some other bridges over it to open up the CBD of Werribee a little more. And, you know, I don't own a business in the CBD, so that's not a, a political or, or a bias thing. I would just love to see it just open up that little bit more. When uh, when Barry Hopper and, uh, and that talked to your dad uh, all those years ago about, you know, coming to Werribee and it was going to be uh, the next boom suburb, I don't even think they uh, would have envisaged, or your dad at that stage would have envisaged exactly how much it has boomed. No, when we used to drive here, when my father first showed me Werribee, we drove in and turned off the Western Highway at Bacchus Marsh and come down Boland Road from the Bacchus Marsh Geelong Road. The last part of that road, Kev, was a dirt road. It wasn't even sealed. It was a single lane dirt road. And I can remember saying to Brian, where are you taking me? (laughs) (laughs) And of course, now uh, there was no Manor Lakes or Wyndham Vale and such. It was... uh, Werribee really didn't start for the Werribee race course back in 1981. And uh, no, it's, I, I've got to say, it, I, I'm happy we made the move. And I know people from Ballarat would hate me saying that, but 
my life has been really in the, the Werribee Hoppers Crossing community. And it, I've said it many times, we still haven't seen the best of it. It's very multicultural and it's getting more multicultural every day. But I think that's a good thing. Um, the, uh, the the Olympic Games. I want to I want to touch on that again. You mentioned you've got a role with Channel Seven for the for the Tokyo Olympics. Um, the, the the sport that you're involved in has sort of had its ups and downs. Where does where does uh, shooting sit at the moment in the in the Olympic uh, pantheon, if you want to call it that? Yeah, it, it's a good question, and um, I don't know how long your podcast is. Yeah, but we <laughs> could talk about this. But yeah, look, it, it it has really had its ups and downs, and particularly in the last few months. It was kicked out of the Commonwealth Games from Birmingham and only just recently and I don't even know if you're aware of this but they've done a deal with India and now the Commonwealth um, shooting events for the next Commonwealth Games in in two years time will actually take place in New Delhi even though the Commonwealth Games are in Birmingham, the shooting events for that Commonwealth Games will now be in India, as stupid as that is but England didn't want to have anything to do with the shooting events. They booted it out of the games. The Indians said, if you boot that out of the games, we're not coming. Oh. So because they win the majority of their medals in shooting, Australia hasn't beaten India at the Commonwealth Games shooting events. I think 1986 was the last time that we actually finished ahead of India. Jeez. They dominate the Commonwealth Games shooting events. So they've done a deal. And um, I don't know if this is public knowledge, but take it as fact. It is yeah. happening. The Commonwealth Games in, in in 2022, the shooting will be in New Delhi while the rest of the team will be in Birmingham. That's a great thing for our sport because once you lose it from the Commonwealth Games, next is the Olympic Games. And there's, you know, once it's out of the Olympics, I dare say the sport will die. Having Olympic status keeps the sport surviving. So there's been some good news um, in the last month or so for the sport. Here in Australia, our women's trap shooters are the best in the world. So we, you know, we've got three absolutely world-class women, including the defending gold medalists from Rio, at the moment vying for spots in the Olympic team. And the way they're halfway through the trials, and we're that good, the reigning gold medalist, I don't think is going to make the team. So Jeez. she's going to be left out of the team. We've had two more people since she's won the Olympic become better than her. So it's a sport that we've been very dominant in, I guess, since 96, when Michael Diamond and myself won those two gold medals. Then we've won a lot more events. And don't ask me why. It's not really part of the Australian culture to play target tuning. But in the country areas, there's still quite a lot of it that goes on. But it's sort of like women's aerial skiing. We're very good at that. But it's not a sport that I know anyone that does, but we seem to be good at it. And I'm I get asked that every day of my life. Why are we good at this sport? But I don't really have the answer, but we are good at it. And for that reason, I still think the Australian Olympic Committee want shooting to be involved in it because they've had a pretty good run out of it. Uh, what about the, the the future of the sport in terms of, uh, you mentioned uh, what's happening in Birmingham. That's obviously uh, part of the politically correctness, if you want to call it that, or or just the, uh, the, the, the where the sport sits in the, in, in the, in the world at the moment. It, it's not in a comfortable it's, place, is it? No, no, no. I mean, I, I don't shy away from that. I understand people's fear of firearms, and every time that there's an incident in the United States, there's a... Uh, the left-wing media seem to get on the fact that all guns should be banned. Well, you know, it's a pretty stupid argument, but it's an argument that we have to put up with. Um, you know, we just have to accept that there are people that don't want guns. But I don't want my next-door neighbour with an AK-47 either. I don't want him to own one of those. And I've been supportive on 
Some of the restrictions that John Howard brought in in 96, you'll find that 99% of the law-abiding firearm owners in Australia can live with. But banning all firearms, I mean, if you're a responsible firearms owner, it's no different to me that you're a responsible motor vehicle driver. If you can use a firearm and store it safely and not be a threat to society, I don't see it as a problem, nor do I see someone driving down the road in their car. But you fill that person up full of alcohol or drugs and give him the keys to the car, you're in control of the worst weapon there is, and that's a motor vehicle. So the argument doesn't apply just to people that own firearms. If someone misuses a motor vehicle, do we ban all motor vehicles? Well, no, we don't. So you've got to use some logic in it. But it's harder, Kev, because every time there is an incident, the firearms owners seem to wear the brunt of it. And more and more restrictions doesn't actually make it safer. It just makes it harder for the law-abiding people. I think the firearm laws in Australia are about right. I think they've got it about right. And there'll be people who hate me saying that, and there will be people that will say we need it tighter. But I think Howard, by and large, he, he got rid of or made it harder to get the, the firearms that were causing all the problems with the the multiple massacres, and they're now very, very difficult to get unless you can prove that you need a semi-automatic military rifle in your profession, like people that have to cull vermin out of a helicopter need that type of rifle. But that's about it. Yeah. Kevin Hillier doesn't need one, I can assure you, so you <laughs> yeah. won't get one. Yeah, so, yeah, no, exactly. I, I don't have any problems with that at all, but, you know, I... I I get sick of having to defend it, and it, it's very hard for the people that, like Letitia Scanlon, that, that that's going to the Olympic Games and won the last two Commonwealth Games. She's the young girl I coach. She she has no interest in firearms for any other capacity apart from a tool for a sport. Letitia would struggle to, I would say, even know how to clean a firearm. But she, if we give her one, and she can hit things in the sky with it. But she doesn't run around in camouflage gear on the weekend yeah. being a threat to people. And when they see people like Letitia is a five foot one skinny, very attractive girl, it's it's good for the image of our sport because not everybody wears camo gear and puts yeah, blood yeah. over their face. Yeah, no, exactly right. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's a it's a perception, isn't it? It's not reality, it it's is. an absolute perception. Exactly, that's what we face. Yeah. Uh, mate, uh, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, Tokyo uh, 2020, uh, we, we win some medals, do you think? Yeah, I think Women's Trap will win one, and I think in there's a mixed pairs competition, which I think will win at least one medal in that. So there's, there's two I've already earmarked. And, you know, if we could win two medals out of the shooting team every Olympic game, so, I mean, that's, that's a very good pro rata return for the shooting team. And, you know, we've won three medals at, at two Olympic Games. I think three might be out of the reach, but they'll definitely medal. It's just a matter of what colour. Now, you've been a double agent over the years and you've gone away and coached, you know, the Prince of Brunei <laughs> and uh, Indian shooters and all sorts of things. Are you, uh, who are you, uh, a part of the, you're obviously coaching some of the Australians, but anyone else at the moment as well? No, no, I've just kept my feet here now. I think I've made enough enemies going overseas <laughs> coaching on now purely with the, with the Australian team, and I, I think that's a good thing. But the Italians will be hard to beat. They're, they're always the best at this. They tend to have the biggest medal haul. So I was sponsored by an Italian company my entire shooting career, but that ended in 2016, so I don't have to put up with them anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, congratulations on uh, – I mean, uh, we didn't touch on it, but I would like to touch on it. Now, you're in the, the Sports Australia Hall of Fame. You were inducted into that last year, which is obviously something you're very proud of and, and should be. 
Yeah, it was a surprise, but I was the first play target shooter since 1900 inducted in it. So there was a big gap between uh, inductions. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I won't be the last one, though, but that was a great honour. I was very proud to get it. And six Olympic games uh, uh, that you competed at, you, and you went the one you didn't compete at in 2004, yeah, you went as a, a liaison officer anyway. But, but Andrew Hoy's about to uh, hoist himself into his <laughs> eighth Olympic Games. It is a superhuman effort, isn't it? Yeah, I've been, I, you know... Was it the same horse he's had at all eight Olympic Games? <laughs> Give me a break. Kev, you and I could have done that if we had the right horse. <laughs> I always say to Andrew, you've, you've changed horses, mate. It's not the same. Eight Olympic Games, what a great effort. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, but if the, if the horse had been through eight Olympic Games, then, then it would be more a more impressive one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you. Andrew just sits there. <laughs> exactly. Good on you, Russ. Thanks for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Kev. Great to catch up. Fantastic to have him on our first edition of uh, Talking Wyndham for uh, 2020. What a star he is and uh, what a star he's been for a lot of years. And look forward to his commentary and incisive comments during the uh, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics coming up in the middle of the year. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of uh, Talking Wyndham. Don't forget, uh, you can check out the Committee for Wyndham website. Uh, lots of details of the Flow program, uh, the Winnovations uh, business lunch that's coming up. Lots going on at the moment and you can check it out on the Facebook page or, of course, on the website Committee for Wyndham. Uh, thanks for your company. Till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Talking Wyndham is an initiative of the Committee for Wyndham. All the latest news and events are on our website and Facebook page.